0: Come. Come. Who number one? Yeah. Welcome to In The Zone. Today we have a special guest. He's the CEO of Uninterrupted Spring Hill Entertainment, the business manager for LeBron James, a good friend of mine and- Man, I respect and admire greatly. Maverick Carter, man, great to have you here in the zone. Chris,
1: thank you. I appreciate you having me here in your wonderful studio doing your show. I appreciate
0: it. No, nah, man, it's great. It's great. And look, before we get started, we are here the day after game four. Cavaliers won. What would you think of last night's game?
1: I mean, the very obvious thing is that Kyrie Irving was unbelievable. It was a very well-contested game. I thought the game was a fantastic game to watch. I thought the Celtics played really well again. I thought they moved the ball. They really challenged the Cavs on defense. But I thought when the chips got down, the Cavs proved why they have been to the finals two years in a row and won the NBA championship. They have two guys who can basically take the ball and do the thing that basketball comes down at the end of the day to one thing. Who can get a bucket? Who can we who can get the ball and go get a bucket? And Kyrie Irving is a master at getting a bucket. Yeah. He is literally mastered getting a bucket. That's the one thing that he may do better than anyone else in the league. Kevin Durant's up there too. He has a knack and a will for getting a bucket as good as anyone in the league, probably better. Him and Kevin Durant, I was saying Steph's up there too. And Kyrie just started doing that in the third quarter. They just gave him the ball, and he just went to do it. LeBron was obviously in foul trouble. And I thought LeBron did enough to support Kyrie, but Kyrie really did what it takes in basketball. Can you go get a bucket? And he did it.
0: It's interesting because, a a lot, like you said, LeBron supported Kyrie, and he had 34. You know, (laughs) like he, he gets 34, and people think it might not have been his normal game. First half, he obviously had the four fouls, which he's never done. But he certainly didn't look like himself. When you're watching that, knowing him as well as you do, what were you thinking in the first half?
1: I was thinking specifically to LeBron or the team. to LeBron. Specifically to LeBron, I thought in the first half he was coming out and he wasn't just letting it fly, just like let it go. I mean, going back to Kyrie, I mean, Kyrie, as I said, is mastered getting a bucket. Like he just is a master at getting a bucket, like – he is the professor yeah, of that. No question. But the one thing about Kyrie I noticed is is more than probably any player I've ever seen play at this level, he just plays loose. He, I mean he looks like he's on a playground. And he's in game four of the yeah, Eastern yeah. Conference Finals. Yeah. He's in a you know, one of the biggest games in his career and he's just playing loose <laughs> the way he dribbles, the way he takes the ball, he's spinning he's reversing yeah. off the backboard. It's like playground stuff, but he's mastered that. And so I thought when I was watching the beginning of the game, O'Brien got the early fouls, and then he was he, he couldn't be himself. He wasn't mm-hmm. loose and just letting it fly, letting go. And then it's like, to my point, he had a very good game. Obviously, he had 34 points. I don't, I don't even know his rebounds. Six, six, five, yeah, and he probably seven, shot, you know, shots 55. Shot 15 for 27. Yeah, <laughs> which is fantastic. That's a, that's a fantastic exactly. game. But what I mean is, when I say in support of is in that third quarter when Cleveland came back and stretched the lead, it was all Kyrie just getting a bucket and LeBron was just supporting at that point. And then when I say he did enough, in the fourth quarter, he He carried it all the way out and finished it all the way out. I don't know if Kyrie was a little tired or he just wanted to let LeBron do it, but he let LeBron go and LeBron got loose and started letting Mm -hmm. it go. And I think Mm -hmm. Kyrie doing it got him going too.
0: Well, let's we'll get back to some basketball, but I want to talk about you and what you're doing. Um, you've got The Wall, the game show. you got Survivor's Remorse. You've got podcast with Uninterrupted with Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye, Draymond Green. We know LeBron is living his dream. It seems like you're living your dream too. Is that how you feel? I would say I feel like I'm
1: having a lot of fun. I'm doing what I think I'm the best at. I'm doing what I think... Um, I spend a lot of time, a lot of time studying and learning. I started my career at Nike, and as I tell people, Nike sells footwear and apparel, but what they really do better than anyone else is tell stories. They've mm. never really, they never really—they always tell us about the greatest athletes in the world. They really lo- allow us in and tell us stories about Serena Williams, about Michael Jordan, about Kobe Bryant, about Tiger Woods, and then they happen to sell shoes mm. also. But they're really a storytelling company in the way that Disney is or Warner Brothers. And that's where I started my career, and that's where I learned. So when people ask me where I graduated college, I say I graduated from Nike. So I graduated from the best storytelling school in the world, the best branding and storytelling school in the world. So at Uninterrupted, in Spring Hill, we're telling stories. At Uninterrupted specifically, we're telling the stories that the athletes want to tell. That's why our podcasts, some of them... A lot of them are hosted by athletes. Mm-hmm. We've done different series and documentaries and, and social series that are all about the stories that the athletes want to tell. And We want to become the media company that the athletes come to and go, hey, I want to tell this story. Can you guys help me figure out how to tell this story?
0: What if they said to you, because, you know, a lot of times athletes feel like them, and it's true in many cases, that the media, you know, we, we edit what they say. So sometimes it may not come out like the athlete meant it or wanted it to come out. What do they say to you about just having that freedom to do it exactly like they wanted to do it? Yeah, I mean,
1: listen, we're at Uninterrupted, we
0: are not journalists. We're not like
1: yourself. Mm-hmm. You're a proven longtime journalist. You work at Fox. Fox is loaded with journalists. You know, Even though you guys are on TV and doing podcasts, now at the core you guys are journalists. Yeah um also obviously espn we are not that we're not journalists we're not chasing stories we're not looking to break news we're looking to tell the story that the athlete want to tell and and from their perspective and really help them shape that story format that story and get that story out and and we're not competing with journalists we're not competing with we're not here to replace sports media i think we're here to also enhance the the fan and the consumer's insight and feel about sports and about the athletes.
0: One of your most popular podcasts, Dre Day, with Draymond Green. Now, <laughs> the average basketball fan, I think, thinks Draymond and LeBron are like enemies. You know, what what is their relationship? Because I mean, you obviously are – LeBron's one of his best friends and you're working with Draymond and you guys are close too. Are they – cool with each other? What's their relationship
1: like? Dr- Draymond is a very interesting guy. I mean, he's really found his way as well as any athlete executive I've ever seen. I mean, mm. he really found a place. And he's and as much as he's a great basketball player, I think he could be a fantastic executive in business because if you watch the way he plays on that team, he manages that team, it's, it's really executive-like and it's really – managing of people the way an executive has to do, the way Jamie Horowitz has to do here. And I don't think anyone ever looks at basketball players or athletes that way. But I think, you know, Draymond always has a story to tell. It's funny, when we were coming up with the show and we were talking to him about doing Dre Day, he wanted to do it because he's always got something to say. That's, That's how he is. Obviously, you guys know that. Everyone covers him. And we came up with a segment called Explain Yourself. And his partner, Marcus Thompson, was like, we're going to do a segment on the show where Draymond has to explain something that he did over the last <laughs> week or two. And I in the meeting, I said, well, I don't know about that because who's to say, there, is there always going to be something? And we, were, we went back and forth and we went with the segment. And every show there's been something where Draymond <laughs> had to explain doing something, you know, technical fouls, <laughs> yelling at the coach, about a timeout, this or that, or whatever it is, it's yeah. always been something... So I think Draymond is very unique in that way, and I think him and LeBron on the court, they're they're the most adversarial on the court, a lot because they're alike. They're, I think they're the smartest two players in the league. I think they're just brilliant basketball players. They really understand. It's one thing to understand the sets that the coach is calling or the plays that the coach is calling or we're going to run a down screen to get KD open, mm-hmm. but it's another thing. This is this is really applicable to football. It also works in basketball too. It's another thing to understand why. Why are we doing this? Why at this time in the game, this moment, are we working to get that guy a shot? Or why are we setting a down screen with the with a cross screen right now? Like why? It's one thing to just do it like like a robot, but it's another thing as a human being. You have to understand mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. And I think those guys understand why at all times. They understand game time, situation what's going on in the other team. And so then that leads to a clash on the court that's epic and legendary, as we saw in the last two finals,
0: that is great to watch. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, th- I don't know if it was LeBron who told me or someone else, but he and Dre, like, are cool off the court. Like, before that incident, like, he would give Draymond advice on certain things. Is that – what was their relationship like before that?
1: I think it's-, it's the highest level of respect. I mean, I think LeBron – Personally, I know, and you've you've talked to him before, and I think everyone knows, LeBron respects, first and foremost, someone who shows up to work every day, does their job, and does their job in an intelligent way. Mm -hmm. And that's on his team, that's on other teams, that's in work, that's in business, that's if he's looking to invest in a company, and he looks at Draymond as that type of person who works, shows up every day, puts in his work, does his job, does his job in an intelligent way, and is and you know what you're gonna get from him, so that's what LeBron respects. So he has the utmost respect for him as a as a player and as a as and as a person who does that.
0: Have they talked since the finals?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, they've played twice. They were at the All Star game. Of yeah. course, they've talked. Okay. You
0: know? Now trophies. You've got a – do you mind talking about that? Uh, with of course, Trophies I coming love up. Now, t- tell me what that's going to be because it's a centered around so, LeBron and – Yeah, Drummond, it's right? running
1: right now. So, Trophies is running on uninterrupted.com now and on our YouTube page and um in partnership with Beats. Trophies is a series that we started – I mean, we basically – I was telling people it's like the, the whole Warriors-Cavs thing, uninterrupted. We were ahead of it. Mm-hmm. We started this. This is the third year of Trophies. We started trophies at the beginning of the 2015 NBA playoffs. And my idea was I wanted to tap in and really go along the journey of the NBA playoffs with in-depth with looking at athletes' lives, basketball players' lives, as they transform and become playoff mode, which Mm -hmm. as we know, the NBA has two seasons. And the playoffs become a much different season from... From the gear that they wear, some guys, the shoes get lighter, the food changes, how they deal with family changes, LeBron shuts off his phone. So I wanted to tap into that and show people that and not even from a perspective of listening to a guy talk, but just going along the ride and being almost being able to see something that you feel like, whoa, I don't know if I should be seeing this, Mm -hmm. but really go along that ride. And we started in 2015. During the playoffs, and we got lucky. The Warriors, we, we did it. Draymond was on board. He was willing to do it. He said, I'm doing it. And LeBron wanted to do it too. LeBron really wanted to show that journey, and Draymond did too. And those two guys happened to play against each other in the finals. And then we brought it back last year because it was a big hit and a huge success. So we brought trophies back in 16 and we brought it back again this year. So we were actually, I don't even know in 15 who were the two favorites to go to the finals. I don't even know. I guess it would probably would have been – the Hawks were the one seed. That was
0: LeBron's first year there? In
1: Cleveland, yeah. Is, the Hawks were the one I, seed. I still
0: thought Cleveland, but – So you still yeah. thought
1: Cleveland. The Hawks were the one seed in the yeah, – the Warriors were the one seed in the in the West. Yeah, it was the first year the Warriors won But 67.
0: no, I don't know how many people
1: were picking them yet.
0: No, I think some people thought the Clippers – Clippers um, were the – Spurs their, were coming off their championship. That's
1: the year the Clippers were up on the Rockets in the second round. Yeah, 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 3-1. So Clippers were in there. Clippers should have played the Warriors. They upset
0: the Spurs. Clippers upset the Spurs. And they should have played the the Warriors. People were picking the Clippers.
1: And And the Warriors were picked too, but we obviously had them both picked since the beginning. So this year on Trophies again, we've actually stepped it up a level. We started to dive into, like, how does music change the mindset in the playoffs? And we've done some very interesting episode with LeBron about why he shuts his phone off and how that works, and about his family, how family life changes, because obviously he has a wife and three kids, so how family life changes in and around playoffs. We did a very interesting episode with Draymond about how nutrition changes during mm-hmm. playoffs and how Draymond really changed his whole nutritional regimen this season. We interviewed his chef, we had a piece with his chef and his nutritionist, and he's getting like his body fat checked. Every two weeks.
0: Just during the playoffs or the whole year? The
1: whole year, and then he took it up a level during the playoffs, the energy, and his chef talks about it. So trophies has been a fantastic series for us. It's, I mean, people love it. We love doing it, and and the, the athletes really like it.
0: You brought up family life with LeBron during the playoffs. How does it change during the playoffs?
1: Well, I think during the playoffs, he's a lot more – he spins – LeBron is obviously very focused always and really super disciplined – I mean, he's probably the most disciplined person I I know, really? or one of them for sure. But during the playoffs, he becomes a lot more connected to the team and to the facility. Spending more, you know, we're we're during the season he may get some treatment and things that he does at home, so he could be at home yeah. during the playoffs. He does it all at the facility, so he's much more in tune with everything that's going on and how we're. Defending this and moving that and always thinking basketball and not ever – once the playoffs start, he doesn't ever shut the mindset of basketball off. Okay. During the season, sometimes, you know, you go home and you try and leave work at yeah, work yeah. like the rest of us.
0: Yeah. So, Savannah and them know just, all right, it's playoff time. Yeah, he's going to be <laughs> mindset on
1: basketball all the time.
0: Now, you mentioned music too. Does does the music he listens to change or anything during the play Or Draymond even?
1: Yeah, I think, you know – they talked about, both of them talked about having a calm, like like a calm before the storm during the playoffs. So like on the way to the game, there's a certain mood of music and as you get closer and closer to the game, that intensity and that mood building as the music builds a bit. It's a bit, if you think about it, a bit like a like an orchestra playing and as the <laughs> scene gets heavier and thicker and you get closer to the main scene, the music building, which I thought was extremely interesting.
0: So is it like in the drive to the arena, they may listen to smooth jazz, I don't know, and then when you get to the arena, you're warming up, is it more, yeah, you're you are go with hip hop or Yeah, whatever? you're getting
1: going, you're getting the bass going, you're getting the music really, really going, and getting yourself tuned up as you get closer and closer, as they would say in boxing, closer and closer to the bell. In basketball, closer and closer to the jump ball. Wow.
0: Um, future projects on Space Jam 2. Uh, we're, it's in or?
1: development. We're um, we have a fantastic uh, guy in Justin Lin who did Fast and the Furious, director um, attached. We're uh, we've seen an early script, gave notes, so we're working on it. We'll see what happens. But it's something that LeBron wants to do. It's something that Warner Brothers wants to do, and we think if you know we will only do it if we can make it fantastic and great. And build on the legacy that is Space Jam, which is such a legendary movie and has and is seen and has such high esteem. If we can build on that, then we'll do it. If we don't think we can build on it, then we won't do it.
0: Do you have any desire not to be an actor, but you know, any of these movies, would you ever make cameos no, or you, no. you have no desire for that? Zero. Has that always been the case? You just always like more being behind the scenes or?
1: I'm just. I don't know if it's more I like being behind the scenes. I just, there's no way I would ever want to be an actor or be, being in front of the camera has never been a dream of mine. It's never been something that I wanted to do. Yeah.
0: Now, the four horsemen, you, Rich Paul, who's now an agent with Clutch, uh, Randy Mims, LeBron's kind of personal assistant. Um, first of all, do you guys still go by that nickname? or
1: I think it's something that will always... Live and last and people like you who've known us for a while always remember that but obviously we've all you know Richard started his company now I've started my company Randy's still LeBron's chief of staff so and we're all still really close and, and best friends but do we call each other that no I mean <laughs> do, do people say it sure
0: yeah um you guys I feel like have kind of set a blueprint for what athletes, the modern-day athletes, should be looking to do, particularly African-American athletes, where you said instead of just – because we see it a lot of times a guy makes the pros and his friends just hang out and, you know, they're partying and all that stuff. You guys, I mean, all have now been empowered and empowered yourselves to – when Le- if LeBron retired this year, you still are doing your own thing. Rich is still doing his own thing. Randy, you know, could work with other players in the league. When did you guys decide that that's what you you wanted to take this opportunity and create businesses and create livelihoods for yourselves rather than just kick it and have fun because, hey, LeBron's going to be a multimillionaire and be in the NBA?
1: It's a delicate balance, and I would, you know, any players or players' friends who ever hear me speak or I'm listening to this – to this podcast, I would say it's a, it's a very delicate balance of not rushing it. And when I say not rushing it, it is a lot of times I meet players or players' guys come up to me all the time, which I like and I enjoy, and I will always give them any advice that I have and all the knowledge that I know to help them get a shortcut. All the things I've learned, I'll give them to you right here, right now, all the things that it took me 15 years now to learn. But it's the thing you have to balance is not rushing it, not looking at me or Rich or Randy and going, I want that thing right now. I want to be like those guys right now. We've been doing this now for 16 years. I was an intern at Nike in 2001, 16 years ago now, going on 17 years. So it's been a process. It's been a steady, long journey and a process of of building LeBron's business, mm-hmm. building our own individual reputations, our own individual knowledge base, understanding what we all want to do. I never wanted to be an agent. Being an agent is not my dream. It's never the thing that I want to do. I've never been LeBron's agent. I never yeah. had an agent license. I've never applied for an agent license. It took Rich a little time, but he figured out that's what he wanted to do. So he went and started his company, and that's what he does every single day. He runs his 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 agent yeah. business. So it takes time, and it's a process, but the balance that you have to hit is, to answer your question, when do we decide it, is you have to look at even LeBron, who has had one of the greatest careers in all of sports today, and he's still got more to play, but even up till right now, he's had one of the greatest careers we've ever seen in any sport, but there's still a window on it. There's still a finite time when you're an athlete that relative to the rest of life, is pretty short, yeah. you know, 14 yeah, years, sure. 15, 16, 17 years, 18 20, years. Still, Kobe yeah. played 20, yeah. 20 relative to a person, all goes right. You should live at least to 80 or 85, is that's only a quarter of your time on earth. So it's like balancing it's a process, and I have to learn and understand and build a knowledge base and understand what I'm passionate about. With there's a finite time and the athlete's career is going to end at some point. And when it ends, am I set up to go do my own thing and know what I want to do? So I think, you know, it's just finding that balance. And for us, you know, we really found it and we were all of us work very hard. We all understand that we all understood from the beginning that LeBron's life is LeBron's life. I'm not LeBron. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, um, I'm never going to be LeBron. So I can't expect if... If I go to a restaurant with LeBron and it's the most crowded restaurant in LA and they like move people and get a table in the back and we all of a sudden have a table for 6 when there was no tables at all and I show up a week later without LeBron they're not going to treat me like that. So I understand that. And so I always understood that I'm never going to be him. I'm not I can't score 34 points in game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, I can't score 41 twice in the NBA finals. So I don't think I deserve that treatment. If I could do that, then that'd be a different case. So I think we understood that early. We really lived that. We really understood. And we really put in the work and really committed ourselves to the process. Unless It was less about having a good time and making money to more. And it was more about the process of like learning and educating ourselves and finding out what our passions were.
0: When did you guys start thinking that way? Was there a period where at first it was like, Hey man, let's just have fun. This is great. Or was it all along you were thinking, all right, we don't want to, you know, we can do something great here with businesses and and things like that.
1: Yeah. It was always, I mean, it wasn't as thought out and as, strategic as people would think until later we started think really thinking about how do we do things but from the beginning it was always my favorite movie of all time is the godfather and it was always a line from the godfather it was always we got to hit him while we got the muscle and while lebron is playing and can score 30 points a night we have to figure out what it is we can do, and and, and in business, it's all about leverage and taking advantage of time and opportunity. So when you have an opportunity and you have time and you have to take advantage of it. And that's, any business person would tell you that. Any Mm -hmm. Jamie Horowitz who runs FS1 and and obviously who brought you over here would tell you, you have to take advantage of timing. That's what he's doing with FS1. So we were looking at like, while LeBron is playing, we have to go and set up our businesses, our lives, while he's playing, because at some point he's going to be done playing. And at that point, who knows if he still gets that table in the back. And also, who knows what the hell he wants to do. He's definitely going to be a wealthy guy, right? So he may say, I'm just going to live the rest of my life on a boat in the south of France. Like, he may not want to do things anymore (laughs) once he's done playing. I don't know. So we're going to do it while he's playing.
0: Um, Most people believe, and I know you've known LeBron since you guys were kids, but... It's not he had his crew, you know, growing up, because you're four years older, four years three. older, three years older. And, you know, we saw him more than a game, his high school teammates, who the guys he was close, real close with. I know he, he met Rich when he was a junior in high school. Yep. So how did you guys become the inner circle? You, well, Randy, and Rich.
1: Well, his his best friends from high school, as you referenced more in the game, was the first documentary we did with Lionsgate. On More Than a Game, those four best friends are still his best friends, mm. too. He talks to those guys just as much as he speaks to me, maybe even more. Um, but those guys are still his best friends, and those are they're the same age. They went to high school with him, and they're all out doing fantastic things. They all Some of them are
0: playing overseas, right? Two of
1: them are playing yeah. overseas. Willie, who played with him, if you ever watch yeah. More Than a Game, Willie is actually the athletic director at our high school, at St. Vincent at St. St. Vincent. V, really? Yeah, he's the okay. athletic director. Wow. I think now it's been two or three years he's doing a fantastic job as an athletic director so those guys are all still very close they get together in the summer they hang out so he those guys are still his best friends and for us it was just the natural order of things we we started doing business rich as you said has become an agent and that was what he was passionate about and i did my thing drew and rome they're they were passionate about still playing they're still playing Uh, still, very good pros. I think they've each had ten-year pro careers, or eleven-year yeah. pro careers. So those are all still his best friends too, and considered part of his inner circle too.
0: So you, the way I, um, I may be wrong. The way I've envisioned it is because you and Le, when how old was were you when you met LeBron or knew him? Um, I was eight. Okay. It was my eighth birthday, and he was five. Okay, so the way I envisioned it. I don't know how close you guys were at that age, but I kind of, I know you were a good athlete. And I kind of, I was okay. Well, you you were player of the year. I'm going to give you some props because I covered <laughs> high school sports in Ohio little before you, but player of the year. I was okay. At St. Vincent's, player of the year in Ohio. I wasn't a great athlete. I could think the game, though. So who was your game like? My game. Like if you had to compare it to if a. If I had
1: to hmm. compare it, it was a little. Mark Jackson, like okay. later Mark, not St. John's Mark Jackson, like Indiana Pacers. But you score more, right? Uh, I mean, I was like 17 in high school. As okay. a senior. So it was a little Mark Jackson, I would say, like Indiana Pacers, maybe a little New York Knicks Mark Jackson um, mixed with a little bit of – because I played like point guard, but then I could also play a little bit of – down. I could guard like a bigger guy just because okay. I was willing to do it yeah. and I understood – down low, so a little Mark Jackson mix, probably a little Jalen Rose, but I wasn't as t- I'm wasn't not as tall, nowhere near as tall as yeah. Jalen Rose. So okay. somewhere in that range.
0: That's pretty good. But
1: Jalen's a good player, but Jalen's not like a – I wasn't a super athlete. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, like, leap. I couldn't run Could past. You, you could dunk. I could dunk, but not. I am yeah. I wasn't, like, getting a dunk every game, you yeah. know. Yeah. Not, nowhere near that.
0: Well, you were – this is a huge claim to fame. You're the last teammate of LeBron's to lead his team in scoring. Well – and probably the only one,
1: right? more, He actually probably ended up, he ended up averaging more than me. Really? Year as his freshman was, year. Because as we got into the playoffs, he, in the state tournament, he went crazy. Uh, I think he scored 25 and like 30 in the last two games in the state. Okay. So he ended up averaging more than me. But I am the last player to get MVP on a team he was on.
0: Okay, okay. That's a huge claim to fame. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you played football, too. I played football, too, yeah. Did I you mean, play all Ohio, four years? I mean, you you in Ohio, kind of every kid, Yeah. every boy huge. plays football. Yeah, it's like, yeah. a, it's like, a, like a rite of passage. You kind of have <laughs> no, to play football.
0: No, it's a football state. 100%. LeBron really put it on the map in terms of basketball. For the most part, you had a few. Yeah, you, know, you had
1: players. I mean, there's obviously before my time and probably even before your time, it was Jerry Lucas yeah. and John Havlicek from Ohio.
0: Nate Thurman. Nate Thurman and Gus Clark Johnson. Clark Kellogg, yeah.
1: Clark Kellogg. So there were like... Jerome Lane. Jerome Lane. There were like Jimmy Jackson. Yep. So there were one-offs, but for sure, LeBron has made Ohio, all after him, considered kind of like a hotbed for hoops. Yeah. When I was in high school, kind of pre-LeBron, it was like there were players, but there was never anything like... That jump. You know, Michael Red was from Ohio, Kenny Gregory, but LeBron made it more thought of as like a basketball state yeah. for sure. It was it, before him, it was like, yeah, there were players, but it, you know, even when Jimmy Jackson, who he before was LeBron not, was probably was the like best the high LeBron. school yeah, the best <laughs> high school player ever in the state, yeah. uh, pre LeBron, it was still a football state. Yeah, you know, because of Ohio State and because of what we do, you know. I think we have besides probably Texas and California, the most division one football schools in the country. So it was definitely always a football play. So I played football for sure. You were a receiver too. I was a receiver and a strong safety. I played both.
0: Okay. Um, I envisioned it like growing up. You, we all got that kid who's older than us, who's a really good athlete, that we kind of look up to. Mm-hmm. That's how I envisioned it was with you and LeBron. And I mean, and I'm humbly, was was that kind of how yeah. it was? Because you were yeah, older, I mean, obviously.
1: Yeah, I was older. When he showed up to high school, he was a freshman. I was a senior. He was super talented. I mean, he was super cerebral, knew the game at a, at, and had instincts and just understood the game at a different level, than than anyone. And he was skinny. He was like he kind of played like like Ray Allen then, like but like a young Ray Allen when Ray Allen was like a yeah, slasher and lady. a finisher and used the slashing and fin- used the jumper to open up the slashing and finishing. And he could, but he could really pass and he loved to pass and distribute. And he loved seeing other guys do great on his team. Always, always loved that and never wanted anyone left out or left behind. And I think we only had two seniors. I was one of them. And the previous year, obviously, I was a junior. and We went all the way into the game before the Final Four. And okay. it was a bit seen as my team coming back my senior year. And him and his – the the other freshmen, Willie, Sheon, and Drew came in. And they were super talented, and I think – he recognized that I also saw it as in order to be for our team to be great, these these young guys are going to have to grow up and be good too. So I welcomed them with open arms. I never once like, no, this is my team. Okay. I was like, we're going to be good. These guys are going to have to help us, and and especially him and the other ones too. They were all very talented. And I think I think they all just gravitated to me naturally. You're a 15 year old kid about to play varsity basketball, and as it went in Ohio. At Saint V, we basically play on the highest level mm-hmm. of varsity basketball. we played the best teams in the state and I think they just saw it as like me welcoming them with open arms and still but also still being stern and being a leader and teaching them how it went on varsity you yeah, know it's yeah, a new yeah, thing it's yeah. a new level
0: yeah how close were you guys before he got to Saint V
1: We were close, not super super close we were because we were close as kids. I knew him as a little kid, as I okay. said when I was eight. But then LeBron moved around. He, I stayed in the same neighborhood. I literally still own the house in my neighborhood, but I lived in that same neighborhood from basically my whole life. Okay. Until I went off to college, but then LeBron was in that neighborhood. He was in the projects that was next to the neighborhood down the hill. Um, it's funny. It's it's at the bottom of the hill, and it's literally called the bottom. I tell people that. Like, if you're from Akron and you ask LeBron where he's from, he he would say, "I'm from the bottom." Yeah. And it's literally at the bottom of a hill, like the projects are literally at the bottom of the hill, but socioeconomically it was at the the bottom too. So it was like a, it's like a weird metaphor to sound at from yeah. the bottom, <laughs> yeah. but that's what we called it. And then he kind of bounced around and moved around and ended up in, we were from North Akron, ended up in West Akron. And then right before he came to St. V, we kind of reconvened and we were really close because we had that previous relationship yeah. dating back seven or eight years ago.
0: When did you start seeing that, Not only is this guy really good for a freshman, (laughs) but he's going to the NBA. Or even gonna be a star. Um I I probably didn't
1: recognize that. I mean, as a freshman, by the end of his freshman year, it was You guys won state. We won state. We won we were undefeated. He was fantastic. And um, the other guy, little Drew, who went seven for seven in the state championship yeah. game from three, right? Seven yeah, it was seven like a three. miracle. If you watch more than a game, it's in there. Yeah, it's like yeah. his stat line was literally like field goals, seven for seven, three pointers, seven for seven, <laughs> points, 21, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero fouls, <laughs> zero turnovers. I think he had zero everything else, wow. and he played only thing he had was field goals. Three-pointer, seven for seven, seven for seven, 21 points in minutes. He wow. like didn't do anything <laughs> else. No steals, no blocks, <laughs> but he was like tiny. He was like how
0: tall was he at that time?
1: I'm not even sure he was five two. I mean, he might have been. Wow. I mean, he was like five one. Oh. I mean, maybe a hundred and 25 pounds That's or something. That's incredible. Like, and he just got in the game, and it was unbelievable. He came off the bench. I mean, and when you watch more of the game, you can see it. The footage yeah. is there. He came off the bench, and the other team's fans were, like, laughing because his shorts were, like, to his ankles. <laughs> um, and his drawstring was tied so tight around his waist. It was like, you know what I mean? Like, you could see, the string was so long after he pulled it, it, like, went to his knees. <laughs> so, but by the time that freshman year had ended, it was definitely clear at the end of his freshman year, I would say we were saying, because he grew, LeBron grew a lot. at the beginning During of his freshman Yeah, at the beginning of his freshman year, he was probably six foot or six- one. because I'm like six-2. we were about the same. He was like six-1, approaching on six-2. But that was in so basketball season starts in November. We won the state title in March. He was probably 6'3 and a 6'4". Wow. Wow. So it was like, and you could, I could tell by the dunks he was doing. Like, you know, he was going from, like, one hand to two hand. As you yeah, know, you yeah. play basketball. If you're dunking one hand, like, I could never dunk two hand because yeah. once you go to two <laughs> hands, it's a yeah, whole other you know, level yeah. of dunking. Yeah, yeah. So he was dunking two hand, no problem, catching it, no dribbles. So it was like at the end of that year, it was clear he was going to be a high major college player and probably a pro player and our coach at the time i think he said it like he's probably going to go straight to the nba he just felt that was the route for him but then by the time his end of his sophomore year it was clear like oh, okay this guy's going to be straight to the nba and be a really good nba player And then by the time he was a junior like oh he's going to be a star <laughs> nba player he's going to be like a, a superstar
0: he's yeah. clear he's going to be a superstar and by the time he was a senior, the world knew him. Yeah. Now, you were, we were talking once before recently. You're saying when he was 16, you guys would go to the hoops gym, the famous hoops gym in Chicago, and play with a bunch of pros. Tell me about, about that.
1: Yeah, we, that was, he, was, he was 16 because I was 19. So he's going into his junior year? Or? He was going into his junior year. Wait, let me just think for one second. He broke his wrist one year. He broke his wrist his junior year, I think, right? Going into his senior year, yeah. Yes. So it was... That was in the spring. So it was the year before that, going into his junior year. I was coaching his AAU team, and we were playing in a tournament in Chicago. It was kind of before the world knew about LeBron. but We were in this tournament in Chicago. I think it was Mack Irvin's tournament. It was a legendary AAU Mm -hmm. guy in Chicago. And... LeBron was playing fantastic him and little Drew and you know we were kids they were kids from Akron and but we had LeBron we knew how good LeBron was and little Drew could really play too and together with LeBron they were fantastic because little Drew's a shooter and you as you know you see today it was the same thing if you put a shooter or a couple shooters with LeBron you you got a chance in like any game (laughs) so and we played in the championship I'll never forget was a fantastic team from Chicago I forgot their name but D. Brown was on their team who ended up playing playing in Illinois Illinois. and they had another guy I don't think Luther Head was on their team but another guy who ended up playing at Illinois or Big Ten school and they were really good but we hung with them in the crowd was a guy named Greg Ryan who worked for Tim Grover and Greg happened to be from Cincinnati still a good friend of mine to this day but Greg came up to me and started talking to me and um one of my best friends was our assistant, who's now the head coach at Youngstown State. And we started talking. He started telling us he worked at this gym called Hoops. I, I had no idea what the hell Hoops was. And yeah. he started telling us about it. he works for Tim Grover, and it's the gym. And I'm like, yeah, I think I've heard stories about it. And he invited us over. So we went over that spring and took LeBron. And we were kind of just like in awe, literally like in awe. It was like, it was like this basketball heaven. It was like <laughs> this little building with... Two courts in it, a weight room that wasn't huge, but had all the technology it was technology advanced for yeah. weight weightlifting. But then during the days, like all the pros would come in, like Antoine Walker, Ron Artest, and Jamal Crawford, and all the pros would be Paul Pierce was there and Penny Hardaway, Stackhouse, they would start rolling into this gym. It was like a basketball heaven. They'd work out for like an hour and then they'd play. They just like play pickup for yeah. like an hour. And at the time, Michael was retired, and Michael Jordan, yeah. yeah, Michael Jordan was retired, and LeBron had never even really lifted in his life. You know, he was like <laughs> sixteen, and Tim would like talk to him. Tim talked to him about lifting and why it's important. You know, he spent like ten or twenty minutes. And we went there every day that for that kind of that weekend while we were in that tournament. And G invited us back, so we okay. went back. We had to convince our moms <laughs> to let us go back up, and G was this guy. You know, he's like, they can come up and they can stay with me and just go to hoops okay. for like a week. So we went back up and we went to hoops every day for like a week. And LeBron would roll into the gym. All the pros would be there. I mean, like, remember the Bulls? They call them the baby Bulls. And yeah, it was like yeah. Jamal, Eddie, Ron. Kirby, yeah. Ron Artest was, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, he'd show up to the gym with like. Ron was just – he'd show up with, like, no socks on and hoop. Like, Ron – one thing about Ron is he's a hooper. He's just, like – he, like, forgot his socks. He just hooped. But, you know, they would lift, and then they would play. Tim would train all the guys. He had a couple trainers who would help him. And then they would just play pickup, like, games to seven. And at first, it was like LeBron was this 16-year-old kid. They're like – you know, he couldn't get in the first – game or two because they they're pros. They need the work. They
0: know who he was? what, what like
1: At the they time they had started to know he was because remember in his sophomore year, the game that made LeBron kind of his name kinda known, is in his sophomore year they played a game in Columbus against Oak Hill. And St. V lost the game on a buzzer beater. But Oak Hill at the time had names that didn't really turn out to be NBA superstars, but at the time they were the best team in the country. They had this kid Rashad Carruth, Billy Eadlin, they had Bogus, uh, Bogans, who went to Oklahoma State, uh, Sagana Jopp, um, and Justin Gray. That was right. their starting five. And LeBron, and his, he carried his team and went tip for tat. I think he had like 33. And what happened was, at the time, B.J. Armstrong was the assistant GM for the Bulls. I think okay. Jerry Cross was still their GM. Yeah. They were in the stands because Sagana, remember, went yeah, straight yeah, to the league. The I think Danny Ainge was in the stands. So all of a sudden... It was like one of those things where I think the pro scouts were sitting there and all of a sudden they're like digging through their program. Like, who the hell is 23 on this? You know, they thought they were coming to see Oak Hill. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's articles you can go back and read where they talk about like, I just seen the, I think BJ might have said it or Danny or one of them. Like, I just saw the best high school player in the country and he wasn't on Oak Hill. He was just, so he, he had a name from that game. That was the first game that kind of helped his name grow. And then he went to Five Star and Howard Garfinkel Lenny had Cook talked and about man. him. So they knew who he was, but they were they're pros. Yeah. Why the hell do they care Great about a yeah, 16-year-old high school player? Who the hell is that? What yeah. difference does it make? We're here to get our work in, and we're trying to get better. But then Tim would let him in at the end of the run. And so when he was 16, he played a couple pickup games against, like, Paul and Jerry and Twan. And Twan was fantastic. He talked a lot of and play and do the shimmy and <laughs> yeah. and run and he was out there playing and if you watch the game he wasn't like dominating yeah. he wasn't like but he didn't stick out you didn't go like oh there's a kid out there it was like oh there's just another player yeah. out there like you know he got a couple buckets and went up and down he wasn't at all ready to defend you know <laughs> like if you know if Stackhouse caught him he'd take him to the hole he wasn't at all ready to defend but on offense, you know if you can pass, you can play and he could pass and he had the size and the ability to get in and got a couple buckets and it'd be interesting to see what how he remembers those games but I remember them for sure as him not at all ready to defend but he never he never stuck out either way which is impressive for a 16-year-old kid he never stuck out like he doesn't belong yeah but he also didn't stick out like he was he wasn't dominating anyone yeah. but he was getting buckets and making plays and kind of being the LeBron that you know today
0: do you know what that did for him did that do anything confidence-wise for him or anything?
1: That's a good question. I've never asked him that question, but I wonder, did he leave there going, okay, now I have a a, a gauge yeah, of what yeah. it's like to be on the floor with pro guys. I'm sure, you know, there's little nuances to the game of basketball that, the, that normal people don't understand or see. And I'm sure one of them he probably understood from there is like, when you're on the floor – because I've been on the floor with pros before in pickup games, it's a different floor. When you're on the floor with guys that size and that length, what people understand is even the little guys in the NBA are super long and actually for normal humans, pretty tall. Like, people think Kyrie Irving or Eric Bledsoe or Steph Curry is the the little guy. Well, in normal life, they're like 6'2 or (laughs) 6'3. They're like a decent size. That's a big person. And and, like, you look at Eric Bledsoe, he looks short, but his arms are super long. So when you're on the court with pros, all of a sudden passing lanes or lanes you thought were there because the guy's arms the down the middle, he sticks it up, small. the court shrinks. So I'm yeah. sure he, that's probably one of the things he took from it. But I'd be interesting to see. That's actually something I may have to ask him about this summer when we're chilling is like, do you, how does he remember those games? Yeah, yeah. And did he take anything from it like that was a gauge? Do
0: you – now, you guys met Jordan up there for the first time, right?
1: I'll never forget it. And that's one thing I know he's talked about before. It was one of the last days, and we'd always be the last to leave because we were with with Greg, and Greg had to stay back and, like, clean up and help yeah. him finish when all the guys were leaving. So it was at the time that Michael was – I. Th- I'm not sure, he probably already made his decision he was coming back, but he was like, there was like rumors, and he was thinking about it. And we were getting ready to leave, and we were literally walking out the door, and down the street, right down Randolph, because that's where the gym was, I I go to Randolph Street now when I'm in Chicago, because there's a couple of great restaurants. This red Ferrari pulls down the street, and it was literally like, for LeBron, I was like, Black Jesus was coming down the street (laughs) in a red Ferrari, with a bucket cap on, and he pulled into the parking lot, and all the players had gone. And I think he was coming to just, I think he just missed the gym. And he, you know, he had that urge and he came to talk to Tim. And we happened to be standing out in front. And it was like, holy shit, it looked like, and he got out of his car and he walked over to us. And to me, it looked like he was like levitating. I was like, <laughs> this guy didn't even, he walked over here and his feet didn't even touch the ground. It's Michael Jordan, like it's Michael, Jeffrey yeah. Jordan in the flesh. And I couldn't believe it. We went back upstairs into the weight room. It was just me, him, Tim, G, and LeBron. And he talked to us for like fifteen minutes. And that was the first time LeBron ever met Michael. We talked for maybe even a little bit longer. And Michael sat and had a conversation with us, just about basketball. And I honestly don't remember anything that was said in the conversation. It was he was very? I think he was talking to LeBron about like NBA and being a pro and giving him lessons. But it was like you know, it was like everything just sounded like
0: blurred out to me. Like I was listening <laughs> to God speak. It was like, I don't even remember what he was saying, and that was the first time he met Michael and myself. Do they have much, what's 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 their relationship now? Obviously, there's a great deal of respect there for each other. Do they have much of a friendship or anything like that? Or I wouldn't say it's a
1: super tight friendship, but it's huge LeBron still looks up to Michael mm-hmm. and still sees Michael as the best and the guy that set the standard for being... A basketball player who defined excellence as a basketball player and they talk they you know I don't know how often but they definitely yeah. talk I talked to Michael Michael and I are very cool um, I've been to Michael's house for dinner and had conversation with him took my dad he showed me around his house in Florida if I see Michael I, I still have that same feeling <laughs> it's Michael Jordan like it's always gonna be that to me when I see Michael Jordan and um, I talk to him all the time. He's always very open. And last time I saw him was at the All-Star game, and we talked for a while, and him and LeBron talked. And we've always talked about, because we're very close with uh, Charles Oakley, who yeah, I love, yeah. who's just at my house for Mother's Day. I don't know if you guys know, but Charles is a fantastic chef. Yeah,
0: I know. And anytime he I get, cook? He, he cooked, the-
1: cooked for Mother's Day. He came to my house. He did uh, chicken fried rice, and he makes the best apple pie. Literally, <laughs> my grandmother— Who is in heaven is probably rolling over in her grave, (laughs) but (laughs) Uncle Oak's apple pie is better than hers. But Oak's a fantastic chef. I mean, he's cooked for us, came over to my house and cooked. Went on Thanksgiving, because I take my family on a Thanksgiving trip. Cooks mac and cheese. He can do anything. The best turkey burger I've ever had. So we're tied with Oak, and me and Oak have always talked And We're going to do it one summer, like get together, have a barbecue, some wine, some drinks, have LeBron, Michael maybe try and get Kobe, whoever wants to be, and just, like, have a basketball conversation, eat and drink, like, two days of just, like, those guys sitting there drinking, talking, eating, and having a fantastic basketball conversation. They all want to do it, but obviously they're all very busy guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Michael yeah. owns a team and runs Jordan Brand, which is a huge business, and LeBron's still pl- So, but, and LeBron wants to do it for sure, 100%. Oak wants to do it, and Michael wants to do it. We just have to put it together.
0: Do you guys get tired of the... Comparison. It's constant. You know, Le- LeBron to MJ, or do you welcome it? I would say, personally, MJ
1: and LeBron are very different basketball players. They're different people. They manage their teams and their players different mm-hmm. than the guys that play with them. But the one thing that they have in common is they're both demand excellence of themselves they demand excellence of people around them and they both have a drive and a will to win at every single thing they do and it may be expressed differently it may come across differently mm-hmm. but they both want to win and Michael wanted to win all the time and everything and LeBron always wants to win it's no way you can go to six straight finals maybe seven I mean if he goes this year it's half his career he's yeah, been in the NBA finals yeah. and not want to win at every single yeah. moment and every single time you're out there and to have this long sustained excellence that LeBron has. But they're different players. They they play the game in a different way. Michael played and had a will to score the basketball as much as anyone we've ever seen and Michael when he first came into the game that's how he thought his team would win if he just scored more and obviously later developed and became the greatest all-around player we've ever seen. And LeBron definitely wants to and likes to score, but that's not his main thing going into every single game. His thing is, I'll do whatever it takes to win. I get a rebound, but he likes to distribute. LeBron wouldn't mind a game where he had 19 points. He, yeah. That doesn't bother him at all. And letting, like last night, letting yeah. Kyrie go get his do his thing. Michael had a will to score. Like like Michael wanted to score every time he caught the ball, but he also understood how to distribute and keep other guys involved and really understood the nuances of the game. So I would say that LeBron would never ever get tired of the comparisons because that's what he worked his whole life for, to be compared to the greatest yeah. to ever do it. So he would never get tired of that. That's that's actually an honor. That's actually to be compared to Michael Jordan is an honor. The guy that he that was his that was always his idol and who he always his muse and who he always Look to for inspiration to be compared to that guy. Now is what he wanted his whole life, so I don't think he would ever get tired of. It. And I think, you know, when you hear LeBron talk about the history of the game and talk about when he accomplishes something to be mentioned in the same breath is the guys who did it the best, including Michael and mm-hmm. Oscar and Bill mm-hmm. Russell and Wilt and Magic and Bird, is
0: an honor to him. Last question before you go: I, You're working with Dray now. You still pull for the Cavs to win it all. I'm imagining.
1: I if if LeBron is my best friend and been my friend since I was eight, I pull for LeBron and his team to win always for sure, yeah. as long as he's playing, absolutely. But I want to see Draymond do fantastic. I love Draymond, and I Average want to see him,
0: a triple double, but lose. I want to see him play great.
1: <laughs> I want to see him play great
0: and do fantastic. Um, how do you if it's Cleveland, Golden State? How do you see it turning out? I mean, Golden State.
1: Looks like the best offensive basketball team I've ever seen. I mean, when you have, you know, Kevin Durant with the ball driving, and if he kicks it, he kicks it to the greatest shooter of all time. Steph Curry is the greatest. Yep. That is, a, to me, a fact. Yep. The greatest shooter of all time. Or he can kick it to one of the greatest shooting two guards of all time in Clay Thompson. Or he can go get a bucket. Or he can kick it to Draymond Green, who can get a bucket. Or, most importantly, make the next play, which Mm -hmm. people don't always understand. The thing about Draymond is when Steph throws it to Draymond, Draymond can actually make the next play, which is very vital to their team. That's so lethal. I mean, I don't know how you defend that. That's like, it's just so lethal. So I think it's going to be an extremely, the Warriors are an extremely tough team to stop. Cleveland's going to have a, a very huge task on their hands stopping them from the coaching staff figuring out a game plan. I don't even know how you game plan against that. Um, but as I said, Cleveland has a fantastic team. They have LeBron who can go get buckets when yeah. you need to get buckets, and he can. LeBron's willing to do whatever it takes to try and get a win, whether it's a block, a rebound, guard the other guy, and then they have Kyrie who is the, a master who is mastered. At any given point, and if the game gets to any point or it's, we can't figure out what we should be doing offense, you can give him the ball, he can go get buckets, that gives them a shot. But Golden State is, I think, the best offensive team I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of look at it the same way. Like Golden State, I think, is probably the better team, but because of the greatness of LeBron and Kyrie, they got a, they got a good chance. I mean, I can't, you can't ever count them out. You know,
1: yeah, so. I mean, you see what Kyrie did last night. Yep. A, at a five minutes trip for five or six or eight or ten minutes, he can just go get bucket after bucket after bucket, and that's the name of the game. Yep. Who can get a bucket?
0: Yeah. Well, look, Maverick. I, look, I could sit here for hours, <laughs> and I'm coming over to watch a game soon. Appreciate again. it anytime <laughs> you want, anytime you want. Um,
1: but man, thanks for coming in the zone. Thank you for having me in the zone. I appreciate it, All Chris. Right.